Remember New probably has about 100 churches around the U.S. that are involved with Remember New, but your church is one of the top three in all of those that sponsor children and help us to do the work that we do. I want to thank you very much right out of the gate for the children that you sponsor in Kenya, Thailand, and Myanmar. You make a world of difference in their lives. For those of you that are new uh, to Remember New or haven't heard from about us for a while, I'm going to kind of give an update and uh, just refresh the story. In 2002, my wife and I owned a couple of businesses, and we kind of had the world in the palm of our hand. I had a goal to retire by the time I was 50, and we were well on the way to that goal by the time I was 42. And during that time, I was uh, halfway through a seminary degree at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, And my goal was to retire and then serve in local churches to be an administrative pastor and help those guys that are very creative by doing the tedious work that most of them don't like to do that I do like to do. And I want to also start by saying I'm going to tell you some things and please believe me that everything that I think that has come out of my life good is from Jesus Christ, and you can credit me with all the bad stuff. There's a bunch of that too, so uh, I don't want it to seem like I'm bragging. I'm just telling the story of what God did, which is pretty amazing for Remember New. In 2003, uh, I was with my mentor, John Guybe. He led me to Christ. He was a great Bible teacher. And we were on vacation, and he was explaining to me over a three-day period, tying the entire Bible into Galatians 2.20, and you're probably familiar with it, that I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live through the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we talked about that mystery that Paul talked about, that literally we can allow our lives to be crucified with Christ and that he'll live through us. He'll love others through us and it can be him that people experience rather than us. And so the more we talked about this, the more interested I was in that happening. And so when I went back home, I started begging God to make that totally true in my life. I remember begging him to crucify every speck of me and that Jesus would just live through me. I remember childish prayer that I just wish I could have signed a contract that every part of Carl Ralston would be dead and that only Jesus would live through my life. And the funny thing was, though, the more I prayed that, the more silent it seemed God got in my life. And this went on for quite a while. And... I went through the dark night of the soul. Some of you have probably heard or read about that. Some of you have went through it for sure. But it's where God seems to be silent in your life, where before you'd open up the scriptures and you just feel like God was talking to you. It's a time when you don't feel that and you feel like your prayers are just going up to the ceiling and aren't going anywhere. 
And you might know that God's there, but it feels like he's silent in your life. Some authors have compared this to back in olden days, in those 17 and 1800s, when they had the old uh, sail ships. And if you've ever heard the story, it's a pretty neat one of how they got the mast for the center sail. That had to be the strongest piece of wood on the ship. And what they would do is they would go to a hill where there were a bunch of trees. They would find one of them that was fairly straight, and they would cut down all the trees around that one tree. And they would leave it there for a year to fight the storms and the weather and the wind by itself. They'd come back a year later, and it would have doubled in size and density. And that's how they got the sails, the mask for the sails. And that's what a lot of people have described Dark Night of the Soul. It's where God makes you feel like or lets you feel like you're fighting by yourself and you don't feel that evidence of him. And he usually does that before he's going to call you to do something that you need to have more strength for. And I believe I experienced that um, I'm going to fast forward 11 months that I was going through that dark night of the soul. And I got to go on a missions trip to Chiang Mai, Thailand. And they flew in 110 pastors from all around the world. And my friend was leading the trip. And five of us got to go as lay leaders when pastors and district superintendents had to cancel last minute. I got to fill one of those slots. And so there we were on this vision trip, and we were learning what was going on in Asia for the Christian Missionary Alliance. They flew the international workers in, and they told us what God was doing in each of their countries. And I was kind of at wit's end with the dark night of the soul, and in the last seminar, I literally had my hands on my chin and my knees on my or my elbows on my knees, and I was wrestling with God. I had been going through the purpose-driven life. I had learned this song right before the trip called I Give You My Heart, and I was singing that as a praise and uh, just singing to Jesus. And I was sitting in that seminar, and I was asking God, what do you want me to do with my life? I just want you to tell me. I'll do whatever you want, but please tell me what it is. And right about that time, the worker showed this picture of Chup Lee. And he said, this is Chup Lee. She's 16 years old. And this is the day before she was sold into the sex trade by her family. I had never heard of child sex trafficking. I had no idea that they locked children in rooms as sex slaves. This is in November of 2003. And probably most of you had not heard of it at that time. But then he said that there are success stories, and he showed this picture of New and these three girls. She's the tallest of the ones you can see there. And he said that she's a Vietnamese refugee living in Cambodia. The Christian Missionary Alliance had set up schools and churches to help the Vietnamese because they couldn't go to public schools in Cambodia. And so he said that she accepted Christ as her Savior, She got baptized. She started sharing her faith and would go to church. But when she would go to church, 
Her family would threaten her. They would beat her. They wouldn't feed her those days. And while he was talking about that, I could just see Jesus shining through this young lady. I knew instinctively, I think through the Holy Spirit, that she was my sister in Christ. And I thought, this is so cool. I live literally 12 time zones away, Akron, Ohio, and here she is in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, 12-hour difference. And I thought, one day we're going to be in heaven and she's going to be my sister And right about that time as I was focusing on that, the international worker said that he had to come home for a medical furlough. And while he was home, their news family carried out that threat and sold her to a brothel. And in that moment, God broke 11 months of silence that he was using, and he impressed upon my heart just two words, remember new. And I instantly broke down, crying, thinking about what was happening to my sister in Christ. I didn't even know where Cambodia was on the map. And the seminar went on for about 35 minutes after that. And I couldn't quit crying, thinking about her. And I was asking, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go in brothels and look for this young lady? Do you want me to erect a statue to her? And all the time when I was doing that was in the back of my mind was this picture of Chupley. This is her a few days before she died of AIDS. At the time, I had learned as I started doing research that if you entered the sex trade in Cambodia before your 18th birthday, you had a 97% chance of coming out with HIV or AIDS. And as... I started to learn what could be done. I had that thought in my mind, is that the position that New is in now? When the seminar ended, I went up to him and I said, is there any way you could find New? And he said, I think so. And I said, is there any way you could buy her out of the brothel? And he said, yeah, but you'd have to pay the money that her family was given. And you would have to pay for her room and board. That's how they trap them in the trade. They build up this big debt and say, if you leave, we'll kill your family. And I knew he had to leave because he was packing up as we were talking. He had to fly back to Cambodia. And so I gave him my business card and I said, look, if you can get her out, I'll write you a check for up to $10,000, get her out, do whatever it takes. And I turned away and I actually turned back to him. I said, actually, whatever it takes, if it's 20 grand, I'll pay it. Just get her out. And he left and I had to leave. Uh, During the next six months or so, he didn't find her. The other contacts I had didn't find her. And right before that, about a week after I got back from the missions trip, One day I was praying on my knees and I just said, God, until the day I die, I will do everything within my power to stop this. And I'll start looking for new. So I flew to Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and by then I had learned that 90% of the Vietnamese refugees lived along either the Tunlai Sop or the Mekong River in Cambodia. So I took that picture of new that you had seen And I just 
stopped people on the riverbanks with an interpreter and said, do you know any of these girls? Do you know their families? Do you know how I could find them? And I started looking for new among 12 million people in Cambodia. I ended up taking six trips over the next two and a half years, and I finally found new in July of 2006. The, when I met her, I had an interpreter with me, and uh, she came out, and she knew the interpreter, so she was excited to see them and started talking like 90 miles in a minute. And I just was standing there literally for minutes, and I had no idea what I was going to do or say. I had begged God for this girl so much. She was my daughter at that point in my heart. And after a few minutes, she took a breath, and the person said, "Uh, this is Carl, my friend from America. He'd like to meet you. And she politely turned and bowed her head and said hello turned right back to the person and started talking to them, totally ignored me. Uh, But that was fine because I didn't know what to do or say. I just said hello. A night or two later, though, that person set up a meeting with New and myself and one of her friends who had loved her throughout her life. And they came over and through the interpreter, I told the story of Remember New I explained to her that my wife and I felt like God wanted us to help her. I was carried around a little picture book when I was in Cambodia in case I met her, had all my contact information, my wife, pictures of my wife and daughter and I, because I didn't want her to think I wanted to abuse her. I gave her the book and I said, look, if you ever need anything, please call us. And then she had to leave because it was dark and it's not safe for two women to be out at dark in Cambodia. So then I had to fly back home. I did. I didn't hear anything from New. Uh, Later, she told the story one time. Somebody said, what did you think of Carl when you first met him? And she said, I didn't like him. And uh, the reason is because I look like the kind of person that abused her. And so she didn't like the fact that I knew her story. They're very um, reserved in Asia, and they're very private, so she didn't like that. Well, I went back in September, a couple of months later, and by then we were ready to open our first children's home. Remember, New was a nonprofit. We had been giving funds away to help other ministries, but we realized it was time to open our first children's home. So I met with New at this time, 7.30 in the morning. She had to be at work at 8. She worked in a hair and nail salon. She's a very smart young lady, and she learned that when she was about to be sold, she had no idea what sex was, but she knew it was not good. And so she had been begging her family to let her go to cosmetology school so she could provide finances and not be sold to a brothel. So eventually her family relented, let her go to cosmetology school. And when I met her, she was working 28 days out of each month. She was working from 8 in the morning until 8 or 9 at night. And so through the interpreter, I had 25 minutes to explain to her that we were going to open a home from the very neighborhood where where she was sold and she had friends. 
And I explained to her that we would give her the same salary to work for us, but she would only have to work five days a week. And she would work the first half of the day teaching cosmetology school to our older girls. And that the other half, she could go to school. She only had a sixth grade education at the time. And after I explained all of that and why we were doing what we were doing, through the interpreter at five minutes till eight, she said, can I ask one question? And I said, sure. And she said, when can I start? And uh, in that moment, I lost every bit of energy I had in me. I knew God had called me to the individual new, along with the one million children this was happening to. It was a two-way call. And I knew in that moment she would be okay. I felt like God was letting me know, well done. She's going to be okay. I could get her the best medical care that money could buy. I would make sure she wasn't sold. I'd make sure she was educated. And so on September 19th, 2006, New became the first official employee of Remember New. In January 2007, we opened our very first home for children with the help of New and our house mother. I uh, gave them a list of things to do, like 30 different things, like find an apartment we could rent, get prices on bunk beds, find uh, kitchen utensils and things like that. And then I flew back to America and then came back to Cambodia in October and gave them another list. And so during those three months, we were able to open our first home. Kind of fast forward a little bit. September of 2007, my wife sold all of our business and we became official employees of Remember New. We lived off the sale of our business, so we didn't take any funds from Remember New for about 10 years. Uh, but during that time, we focused strictly on Remember New. And at that time, they had said that there were about 30 million children that had been sold into the sex trade worldwide. And you might wonder, well, why would God say remember new? And I learned this after she was my daughter in my heart for a few years. I had never asked her one question about her story. Uh, because I loved her too much. I didn't want her to think that, you know, I was interested in that as far as, you know, that's why I was loving her the way I was. And one day we were out to dinner and she said, Dad, do you want to hear my story? And I said, only if you want to tell me. I will never ask you to tell me. And so she told me the first night that she was abused she was sold to a man, very common. They sell their virginity for three days. And the first night after she had been abused, the guy fell asleep, but she couldn't leave the hotel room. And she was standing by the window because she couldn't sleep. And she was looking outside, and in the morning there was a school right across from the hotel room, and the kids were walking into school. And in that moment when I would have been plotting this guy's death and my family's death, truthfully, I think, she was thinking of others and she said, God, please use me 
to not let this happen to any of those children or any child. And so I believe that that's why God said, remember new. She didn't have bitterness or anger or hate. She had concern for other children. She didn't want them to go through what she went through. And she was praying prevention. She wanted them to not be sold into the sex trade. When I was back in America, I read stuff for two months before I found one little article about this one guy in Thailand that was doing prevention. It was not a common thing. Most people were going in brothels or the sex trade to get children out. They weren't trying to prevent them from going into it at all. So that's why I think God spoke, remember, new to my heart. And one of the things I learned in research is that it takes an average of 12 years to buy land, build a building, and have 30 children running in a children's home successfully. But again, to God's credit, nothing to do with me. I knew that God wanted me to finish my degree, and so I did research before I started any children's homes, and I learned the mistakes that were made. And again, to God's credit, in the 12-year period that it takes usually to open one home, Remember New was able to open 117 children's homes during that same time. Sorry, 105 children's homes during that same time. And now we have 117 homes in 16 different countries around the world. Starting in Africa, we have homes in Gambia, Kenya, Guinea-Bissau, Tanzania, and Uganda. Coming across, we have homes in India, Myanmar, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, then in Bolivia and South America. And then in Europe, we have homes in Albania, Moldova, Romania, and Ukraine. We have over 1,500 children in our full-time care at this time. And our goal, our mission, is ending child sex slavery through prevention. We want to stop children from ever entering the trade. And what we do is, in these countries, when we find out a child is sold from a village, we'll go to that village because we know a sex broker is working in that village. We know they're there recruiting children. And so we tell the village chief, which is like a mayor in our country, we tell them, look, we have scholarships for impoverished children. If you'll let us interview your children, we may be able to help some of them. We'll do the interviews and we'll find those that are at risk and we offer them a scholarship. And what we've learned is that we really are ending child sex slavery one village at a time. Because what happens is that child or those children, maybe there's two or three of them, will go back to their village after a few months. Well, that village chief pulls them in and says, hey, tell us about this home. He can see that they're better dressed, they're calm, they're not malnourished, and then the kids have nothing but praise because they're experiencing God's love. And so almost every time the village chief calls us and says, hey, I want you to take all of our children, or she'll tell us, I want you to take all of our children. And then we go back and we interview the rest of the children, and we explain to them, look, if you have children who 
their families have drug addicts in them. They have workers in the city, which is a euphemism for the sex trade. If you have people that are drug addicts or there's a divorce in the family or the parents get sent to prison or they die, let us know and we'll help those children. What we didn't realize is that I knew those villages, some of them would help some of their children when they learned what we were trying to do because they have a lot of power. If a husband and wife get put in jail, they can go to the aunt or uncle Say, look, you need to take these two children. You know, they can't fend for themselves. The thing that we didn't know was how successful that was. I recently did some research and did a longitudinal study, and I can tell you with a 99% certainty by an academic level, which is a very strict level to meet, that for every child that Remember New has in our care or has had in our care, there's 5.9 more children that the villages have stopped allowing to go into the sex trade. So like in your guys' case, you have 31 girls sponsored and 19 boys sponsored as of earlier today. And out of those 50 children, they literally represent 350 children who now are not in the sex trade because of you sponsoring one of those children. And yes, praise God for that for sure. Um, Again, not my plan, it was God's plan. Uh, So that leads me to tell you some opportunities that Remember New has currently. Right now, we are opening some homes in Laos, which is a closed country just to the east of Thailand. And... It's very poverty-stricken. And one of the homes uh, we had left that we didn't have any sponsors for, you agreed as a church to start sponsoring. And so over the last, is it one or two weeks, that you guys have sponsored some of those children. And there's 15 girls, again, very poverty-stricken and headed for the sex trade that your church started to help. And as of this morning, after the first service, all of those girls are sponsored. Yeah. Um, That's truly amazing because your church is in the top three for the most sponsors and the most help that you give, remember, new out of 100 churches. And so you've picked up and agreed to take another home now in Laos. And um, Dr. Sheffield told me just before the service started that my wife was talking to his wife, and my wife was telling her about this home we have in Tanzania that we had mentioned to you guys. And we don't have any sponsors for that home. And so now you guys are going to go into your fifth country with Remember New, and we have children out back that they have pictures for that need sponsored. So if you're interested in sponsoring a child, we have the home in Tanzania. We also are going to have an opportunity to be involved in Brazil, but it's down the road, maybe six months to two years away. We're going to take a vision trip in February, and my hope is that Uh, Pastor Scott will be able to join us. That's the first missions trip he ever took. They gave him a heart for missions. 
and we're doing a fact-finding trip and we'll be connected to 60 different churches in Brazil and literally have hundreds of contacts there. The reason that's important is Brazil's one of the five worst countries in all of the world for child sex trafficking. There's Thailand, there's Cambodia, there's India, there's Philippines, and Brazil. In Brazil, having the most uh, children living on the street. So that's something I'd ask you to pray about if you would, and just let us know, you know, what God puts on your heart there. Let Pastor Scott know. Um, the sponsorship, you might be asking if you're not familiar with Remember New, has three different levels. You can be a parent sponsor, which is a commitment of $60 a month. You can be a cousin sponsor, which is a commitment of $40 a month, or a sibling sponsor, which is just $20 a month. Each child has three sponsors that kind of make up their family, and we've done that that way by intention. Um, And I want to have just a few minutes. I'll share a quick story. The first home that we opened was in January 2007. My wife and I went back in December 2007 to celebrate Christmas. And I noticed for the 15 girls that were in that home, their sponsors had given them a picture. And to my shame... I will admit that I felt it was kind of arrogant that they gave a picture to this child who had nothing. And it seemed like every picture was a husband and wife, their dog, their two children in front of their nice fireplace. And I didn't realize it was to my shame till the next day. We had a team come in of seven or eight Americans just to celebrate Christmas with the kids but we had opened the gifts the day before with my wife and I there. New was part of that home. And what I watched was every one of those children didn't bring their toys up to play with those people. The ones that got the picture took that picture to everyone on the team and said, this is my mom and dad. Do you know them? And I realized, yeah, right. They've lost everything. Most of them were orphaned. And now this is their mom and dad because we explained to them, look, these are your mom and dad, your sibling, your cousin. They're the ones that provide the funds for you to be in our children's home. And the children take that very seriously. A picture is the most valuable thing they get. I literally watched uh, gold cross necklaces given by somebody that was very well off. They sponsored 13 kids. That was like trash compared to the pictures that they get. So I want to encourage you on that, that if you do sponsor, please pray for your child. They're praying for you, and they love you, and they realize that you're the reason that they're not in the sex trade. We explain that to them. I want to kind of, in closing, share with you a command. I've studied the Bible a fair amount, and for me it always boils down to love. When I read it, that's just what I see. And one of my favorite passages is John thirteen thirty four, And Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And I think that's what it's all about. I think it is the key to the Bible from my perspective. I'm not a theologian, but a follower and lover of Jesus. 
And I've made that the foundation of Remember New. Everyone that works for Remember New knows the two most important things for us as an organization for them to do is love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love the children as Jesus loves them. I think it's the reason why we're in many countries that are 95% Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, animistic, atheistic, but over 90% of our children have become Christians. And that's because the agape love of Christ is irresistible. And I think it's why Jesus keeps blessing Remember New, why we see house parents and children lead others to Christ, why we see children baptized and really taking their faith seriously. So again, I want to close in just thanking you for the amazing good that you do through Remember New and through your sponsorships and through your prayers and everything you do to help us help the children. Um, Some of you may want a little update on New. They asked for that in the first service and our dinner last night as well. New now lives in Forest Grove, Oregon. She's been married for six years to a great guy that loves her and uh, idolizes her. And when they met, he didn't know who she was, which I always loved for new. He didn't, you know, she's a, if you meet her, she's like a rock star. Uh, and she has that effect on people wherever she goes. But this guy introduced himself because she was cute. And... Uh, he didn't know her story, but then when he learned his sto- her story, he still loved her and loves her very much. They have a two-year-old child, so I have the most amazing granddaughter of any of you. And um, my wife and I just purchased a house next to them at their request, uh, not because we're good parents, but because we're babysitters. Uh, now they... We love them, they love us, but they knew that we wouldn't intrude. We don't push into their lives, but for sure love them. And my wife will tell you how amazing our granddaughter is. So if you would uh, join me in praying. Lord Jesus, it is truly all about you. You're the amazing glue and air and spirit behind us. And everything that we do that is good is truly from you. And the bad we do is from our sin nature and our spirit. But I pray for each one of us that you'll do more and more through us and that the world will stop and take notice of your agape in each of us through our smiles, our eyes, our actions. And may you receive all the glory, honor, power, and praise. It's Jesus. It's in your strong name we pray. Amen.